welcome back, and here we go for another episode of FileMaker Talk. Welcome to FileMaker Talk. It's been a while since we've done an episode, and today I have a special guest, James. Hey, James, welcome. Hey, Matt. Thanks so much for having me. Really great to be here. Of course. So you and I worked together uh, for the last mm, year or two years at uh, DIS, and of course I've known you for a long time from hanging out at DevCon. Um, uh, but there's news you have to share, and then we have a really cool topic to talk about too. What's your What's your Well, yeah, there's a few things going on. So uh, as of July 14th, I retired. So I've actually stepped away from my FileMaker duties. I'm going to take a, a little break from that. And um, I part of the retirement vision was, are there other things that I want to do that I think are more important, more significant, and that kind of thing? So one of the mm-hmm. things that I did even before I retired is I ran for the Green Party uh, in the recent Ontario provincial election. But more importantly, I'm looking at um, an advisor or a consulting career uh, based on the work I did in my MBA. Right, yeah. So I think it's actually pretty great that there's people, young people like you and me, hmm? <laughs> who are getting to the point in our FileMaker career that we're actually retiring. Uh, yeah. I think that's that's really good because, I don't know, I've been doing this for 35 years and I still have a lot of uh, gas in my tank, I think. I've changed gears, but yeah, I'm still really excited yeah. about it. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so congrats on your retirement, first of all. That's awesome. Thanks. Thanks so much. Yeah. And I had 30 years in in the FileMaker business as well. And it's been an absolutely great career. In fact, I recently published an article on LinkedIn, just kind of doing a retrospective of my career. And Hmm. um, I can send you that link later if you want to publish that. But it was a kind of interesting review of the lessons that I learned and observations that I made through all my careers, actually, I've had several uh, but FileMaker, you know, uh, of course, uh, I found a home there, uh, made uh, great lifelong friends, uh, Matt, of course, uh, over these years. And um, and I found that we've also been able to talk about things that weren't directly FileMaker related. Uh, all of us have expanded interests. Um, Chris Hippolyte and I would often share, uh, you know, what we were reading most recently and that kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, David Knight and I uh, often shared, uh, you know, deep philosophical discussions. So, um, yeah, uh, life extends beyond FileMaker for sure. And there's an impact to that. Yeah. So I feel a little bit jealous because I talked to Chris about a lot of things and I read a lot of books, but I've never talked to him about books. And I talked to Dave about a lot of things too. And I was a philosophy major and I didn't ever talk to him about philosophy. So I have two new topics to introduce with those guys. Yeah, With David, it was very interesting because he was at a, a change in his life. It's before he had started Angel uh, City Data. And um, so, yeah, it was, an, it was a neat, it was actually, I think the first time I met David, but um, I don't know, we just immediately hit it off and we really had, a, you know, a nice discussion about really the philosophy of change and where you're going to go with your life and the decisions you make and things like that. Yeah. Chris yeah. and I, we always liked um, uh, the world is flat and the, and the new uh, version of that. And, and we discussed uh, things like that. Mm-hmm. So to bring this kind of to FileMaker, uh, as we both are pivoting kind of in our FileMaker career and we're kind of looking both backwards and forwards, you and I have been talking about uh, the adult stages of development. I don't know if that's the right word, yeah. which is, was new to me, a new concept to me. And specifically applied to a FileMaker career, yours, mine. Um, yeah. And yeah. I think I, it yeah. was, I was definitely interested enough that I wanted you to share that with our 
three listeners. Well, it, it's really fascinating because there there's an evolution going on in all of us, right? We're all personally growing. Um, but I've also noticed that companies are growing, changing, and evolving as well. Mm -hmm. Our planet is demanding that we reach out for new solutions and think a little bit more broadly beyond necessarily the confines of our code. But our code can be part of what makes a big change, what makes a big difference. Uh, just to yeah. highlight that point, uh, when the pandemic started, Claris reached out and asked, is there anybody who wants to volunteer their time and or a product to help with the pandemic? And uh, I was involved in that. Uh, there were some great applications that were created. I remember AppWorks had created something for uh, personal protective equipment for the state of Oregon and Washington, I believe. And um, so, yeah, so there, there was definitely a, a shift in focus that we're not just doing this for ourselves. We're not just doing this to make money. Yeah, yeah. So we're doing picture. this to make a valuable contribution. And that directly connects to some of the stages, right? That's, that's I think, how we got to that topic. So what are they? What are the stages? Yeah, so um, yeah, so it starts, there, there are uh, nine stages, but nine. one of them, the earliest stage, applies to a child. So we'll skip that one. <laughs> There's actually two that apply to children. No, I want. And there's to know another stage, <laughs> and there's another stage at the very top where there just okay. isn't enough scientific research to to properly address that in the business world. So the seven okay. I'll talk about are seven that we'll find in the business world. Okay. So yeah. the first one is the opportunist. The opportunist is. The, uh, let me list them first, and then go back through what mm -hmm. each one does. So there's opportunist, diplomat, expert, achiever refining, transforming, and alchemical. So the first three are really, the first three or four are really um, looking at transactional relationships. Mm -hmm. um, it's what's known as conventional ethics, whereas I exchange this for that. You, you, that's the nature of our relationship. I'm going right. to pay you money, you're going to write me code. Simple, uh, straightforward yeah. relationship. The opportunist is somebody who's looking in the short term. It's an I, I, me, me, first person perspective. And actually, when I started my, my company, uh, of course, I was a single uh, developer. Uh, getting new business was of primary importance to me. So, mm -hmm. yes, I was thinking short term. I wanted to get things that I could resolve fairly quickly, return them back to the client, get that endorphin hit, you know, that, mm -hmm. hey, got it done. Uh, you've got a better product or you've got a better process, that kind of a thing. Then the diplomat is somebody who has to start to work from a second person perspective. Well, what's the second person perspective? Mm -hmm. That's you and I working together. And we have to kind of negotiate how that works. And that can't be as fast as an opportunist because we got to slow down and figure out, right. you know, what are you, what are you going to do? What am I going to do? Yeah. Do I have to wait for you to finish what you're doing before I can get going on it? Yeah. There's mechanics, there's discussion, common, division of labor. Sure. Division of labor and even standards, right? Uh, mm -hmm. If if you're writing and using your dog's name as a variable, and I don't know what that means. And by the way, that is a true story. Um, yeah. And well, I love really crazy have, variable names myself. So <laughs> Just whatever. That I'm really gives at the us the, a if it's problem, internal, you know? who cares? Well, yeah, exactly. So, so, but that's the that's the other thing about working together, right? Is that you start to realize that somebody else is going to look at your work, somebody else is going to inherit your work, mm -hmm. and so it has to be. Uh, you have to be a bit more thoughtful. You have to think in longer term. 
So that's Definitely. the second, uh, the diplomat thing. Also, the other thing about uh, the diplomat is the uh, division of labor, as you mentioned, by defining roles and responsibilities. So roles and responsibilities become a very key part of the diplomat uh, phase or stage. Mm -hmm. The third is the expert stage. And um, this is what our education is designed to develop. We want to develop experts who can go into society and contribute. So an expert is somebody, it's not so much about rules and roles, it's what actually works. What knowledge do I have that transcends some of the rules? Because at that point in time, some of the rules have to be bent. And for somebody who's very stuck in the rules, this can be a big challenge to their position, their responsibility, their role. So it's a delicate uh, stage, but that's what we want. We want people to yeah, but, think from their level of expertise. But, but that person also may have a lot of expertise, which is why they set the rules. So, I mean, there's kind of a couple of different ways to come at it. <clears throat> Absolutely. Yeah. And in, in fact, you know, people may have invested uh, quite a bit of time in learning how to manage. Mm -hmm. uh, so they have that expertise in terms of management. But so when, when we say, you know, uh, this is a stage, it just means that the primary way that you're looking at things is either in terms of the roles or in terms of the expertise. It seems like so all of it doesn't really... mean that one one necessarily has to contradict the other. Right, yeah, I don't think, I don't see these, these as contradictory at all, but I do see them as including all the sages kind of before, right? Well, so I'm can't... so glad you mentioned that because it is, it's like Russian dolls. So each expanded stage includes the previous stage mm -hmm. and you may have to downshift to accomplish certain things. Uh, so for instance, an opportunist, we generally say that's a salesperson. Somebody has to go make a sale. But sometimes that's what a company needs, or it's an emergency yeah. response. And we, we can't really ask other people's opinions. We need to get something done. And so we just yeah. go ahead and do it. Yeah, you and I talked the other day about like Elon Musk, as an, you know, most of his work is as an opportunist. So you can clearly achieve a lot, no matter how yes. you feel about the guy. And he's <laughs> in, so in bright, that. you know, but oh my gosh. I don't know. I do feel like some of the things he's doing are looking far, far past that. Like, you know. Yeah, absolutely. There is certainly a part of his mind which is connecting dots far into the future, far, far into the future. And of course, that was another reason that I wanted to address this topic is because as coders, as programmers, as developers, as organizations, we may have a lot to contribute mm -hmm. to many of these global situations that are really reaching crisis proportions. Yeah, yeah. So we're at stage four, which is... Yeah, so stage four is an interesting one because it's kind of a transitional stage. Mm -hmm. Early stage four, uh, which is called the achiever, Mm -hmm. is managing experts. So the herding cats is another way of saying that. Mm -hmm. So uh, what it means is that uh, you now have to take into account what all, what all those people are working on. So you might be a project manager or something like that. But you also have to take into account what personal situations are affecting their performance. So is, right. did they fall sick or did, you know, are they planning a vacation or did something happen at home and that yeah. kind of a thing. Yeah, so human plus work is starting to shift from just, you know, task and metric-based actions to mm. value-based actions. And, and that naturally leads into the, the fifth stage. And we don't see as many people in the fifth stage. Most people we see uh, and managers we see fall into these first four stages. Mm -hmm. But the fifth stage is um, called, ref um, ref I don't know if it's reflecting or refining, I can't remember what I said, but it starts with an R. And it's where you now are starting to evaluate everything in, you do in terms of your personal values. Hmm. So you've reached a point where you go, well, do I value doing this? Is Do I want to work 80 hours a week? 
is that the most important thing to me? Uh, is coding right. the most important thing to me? Is managing, you know, whatever it is that's coming up in your life. Interesting. So you're reflecting, uh, reprioritizing, because a lot of R's that could be that one. So yes, yeah, exactly. so there's a, there's a mantra that I really only learned maybe, I don't know, a year ago, something like that, which is this, as you spend your day, so you spend your life. Yeah. Which really hit me, even though it's, all of this stuff is really maybe obvious, but it's also, right. I think, great to actually put a name and organization and there's books you can read about it, science behind it. Yep. Um, and then you can sort yeah. of, yeah, I don't know if you can, I don't know if it's right to like plan to get to these stages. I think they sort of just happen. Um, well, so yeah, a couple of things about them. Um, we'll just continue on with the stages, but mm -hmm. then we'll just talk about growth towards the stages because we could talk about an early stage, you know, proficient in that stage and then late in that stage. And those are different experiences. Yeah. But, but let's the, pause for a second on five, though. I, I kind of think that really most people have this to some degree in their life. Because this is, there's a, there's a level of this from your description. Certainly when we get older. <laughs> well, no, I mean, from even when you're young, you, you have priorities, you set your yes. priorities, and you spend the time according to those. And if that's to work 50, 60, 70 hours a week, when you're, you know, between 20, 30, 40, whatever, yep. that may align to your priority of, you know, to using those years, whether it's right or wrong, it's definitely expressing what you said you were going to do. Yeah, there's never anything wrong about any of these stages. Mm -hmm. And and so that's one thing we want to be really careful about. Everybody is in their stage as a natural part of their evolution. Mm -hmm. um, the only reason why we want to encourage people to grow into higher stages is as you grow in an organization, become a manager or a leader, the impact of what you think uh, is far greater. The, in the impact of your decisions is far greater. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, from so many things, little things that you set a foundation. Gosh, I think about the little programs I wrote 20 years ago. Some, several of them are still there. Those yeah. client relationships you know, sat for a while and then they blossomed into other things. You just yeah. never know what seed you plant is going to grow into a big tree later on, you know? Oh, that, that's exactly right. And um, so having a longer term perspective, mm -hmm. that is what's growing with each of these perspectives is you're going in longer term thinking, but you're also thinking probably broader in terms of even physical or um, geographical space. You might be thinking more across different um, yeah, so like let's get through these. And I'd love to think about them from the perspective of like, what is Claris thinking? What are some of the big FileMaker partners thinking? But yeah, let's yes. keep going. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So uh, so the, um, the the next two uh, are um, transformational. Transformational means that uh, the person now has established what their values are and now is working within the organization to function from that level. Mm -hmm. And so it could lead to organizational transformation at that point in time. And then the, finally, the alchemical uh, I need, Yeah, uh, I need stage. more on that one. <laughs> <laughs> I need more on trans transformation before we get to that, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and you know, these things take experience. Uh, they take some knowledge. Um, but there are ways to improve that. And, of course, that's that's why I, I want to advise and consult on these. Because yeah, yeah. it's not just observational. It, there's are uh, programs to develop mm -hmm. this. Um, but but finally, uh, the alchemical stage is really at um, the social stage. You're really starting to look uh, at your society 
and um, and uh, you know how you want to change it. And that was one of the reasons I ran for the Green Party mm-hmm. is that I really realized that the the urgency of the climate situation really needed to be articulated. I wanted to be a voice for that. And mm-hmm. on the side, I'm still working on things like that. So let's go back. Uh, go ahead and, and yeah, ask so that I, first. I, so I want to, those last two, I, I'd like to get more detail on. The other ones kind of make more sense because I think I they sort of resonate with a lot of other books I've read and a lot of other things in life. Um, yeah. So transformational, is that like spending most of your time on thinking about how you're going to transform from the work that you do or transform the lives of the people that you work with or transform yourself into something else? I, what exactly is, it, how does that apply? Those are all kind of good so things. Refining but. or reflecting, whichever, we'll find, we'll find that word uh-huh. in a moment. But uh, that's when you're doing your internal assessment. You're mm-hmm. like looking inside and going, what do I really value here? What's really important? What's my priority, as you said? Mm-hmm. But transformational is like, okay, now I want to work with others. I want to help them get there. Uh, we want to work on these particular values. We want to be committed uh, committed to this particular vision. Or mm-hmm. um, I will say vision as opposed to strategy, whereas a strategy uh, can break down into tasks very uh, quickly and becomes a metric-based um, deployment or activity, whereas in transformational and redefining, uh, you are looking at values. What do I think is important? very qualitative as opposed to quantitative. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Uh, so, yeah, I, um, think that, I think that helps me a little bit understand, uh, understand yeah, that so, transformational. Uh, I had a conversation with another uh, owner, you know his name, but uh, I won't mention it here, but he was, he was actually wrestling with this. You know, uh, he's very good at getting things done, but he needed other people to get things done. So he needed to move up in terms of being able to parse out the work. Well, that takes time. That takes planning. That takes a different point of view and a different perspective. And it was kind of an aha moment for him because he went, oh yeah, I do need to do that. Mm -hmm. But it also changes the way that you communicate with people, right? Because um, one of the things I always like to say is that everyone runs on emotional energy. So, uh, and especially, uh, well, when I was in my sales career, if you damage someone's emotions at the beginning of the day, they're not going to be productive. But this thing oh, would yeah. be true for somebody working in coding. You know, if you if you were criticizing their work or or giving them harsh deadlines and that kind of a thing, which don't allow them to think creatively, you're impeding their productivity rather than encouraging it. Yeah, so, down, at the le- down at really levels one and two. Like you have to be yeah. thinking up here at level, you know, six to five, six to be motivating people who are transactional. That that totally makes sense. Exactly. So your communication changes. By the way, how are these things evaluated? This is very interesting. This is based on um, testing. Hmm? (laughs) They're evaluated in a spreadsheet, obviously. I mean, there's a Google sheet that has, (laughs) I'm kidding, of course. (laughs) And that's a point of view. Uh, They're uh, sentence completion testing. So they actually give you a test. You fill in um, the sentence with how you would fill it in. And then they evaluate that. And um, this has been used for you know decades. It's a very, very robust and um, a reliable research. And so it helps identify where a person is at. And so let's really be careful that we're not pigeonholing people. We're not putting anybody stuck in, in that position. It's a snapshot. This is mm-hmm. how you answer the questions today. 
maybe in a week from now, maybe in a year from now, you would you would change how you answer those questions. Sure. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that in some other area of your life you don't act as an opportunist. And in another area, you act as, as an achiever or you act as a, a transformational. Yeah, but so it seems like a human would have to really... we are different in different contexts. Hmm? So like the, the sentence completion thing would have to be interpreted by a human. That's not like a score of words you use or anything like that, I imagine. Well, there, there are matrices for, uh, you know, for interpreting. But yes, the, yeah. the final assessment's done by a human. I mentioned at some point AI could do a pretty good job of it. But, um, but at this point in time, yeah, there are people who are trained to mm-hmm. review the answers but they're against a matrix of yeah, what are um, you know what are some of the starting questions would you like as an example you know I, it was so long since i i took that i really i don't even remember any of the questions i did at that time but i wanted to mention that because i, I just don't want you to think it's just oh just kind of willy-nilly and we'll just do an eyeball and, and see mm-hmm. you know what a person is it's not heuristic it is really really detailed qualitative research things like uh if you needed to write a custom function, you would. Yeah. <laughs> I bet that's not the kind of question. Would you they Google ask. it? Would you spend three hours trying to figure it out yourself? Or right. would you call a friend? You know, and, yeah, and, and would you, I'm just you sort of throwing things it? out, but these are yeah. really examples of what people do, right? And um, that's one of the challenges. That you're right. That, that really could be a measure. <laughs> yeah. I, and, and it's it a real challenge. When we when we started working in teams, we would hire people who had worked on their own, and they really found it almost embarrassing to ask someone for help. And they would try and always solve the problem on their own, but that could end up in hours of spinning oh, yeah. their wheels. Well, we had James, DIS, I'm kind of like that, James. <laughs> we have, yeah, well, we have policy at DIS that if it takes five minutes, ask somebody else. Because if you can get pointed in the right direction, it's going to really speed up your thing. But it is in terms of thinking as a team, as opposed to thinking as an individual. And this actually, I'm going to introduce a brand new topic for you. Okay. <laughs> but this has to do with the brain and how the brain processes information. And um, just as a background, my MBA was on global leadership, cultural intelligence, and neuroscience. And one of the things I discovered when doing that research was um, the, the part of the brain that is sensitive to threats is the limbic system and mm-hmm. the amygdala is the big part, yeah. you know, that it's very sensitive. So uh, David Rock wrote, uh, said there are five main domains where we will feel very threatened. And one is our status, our certainty, our autonomy, our relatedness and fairness. So if, if we feel something's not fair. Oh, yeah, yeah. We get triggered, you know, and if we feel something's Im- impacting our status, we get triggered. Yeah, I've actually seen research recently. They put uh, like on on chimps uh, mm-hmm. where they treat one unfairly, right? They give one a prize and they give one the other one twice the prize. And that completely makes them it triggers them immediately because they, they perceive it as unfair. So that's yeah, that's yeah. definitely built in at a low level. Yeah. So um, if someone is feeling that my status will be impacted if I ask somebody for help, for help that I'm not self-sufficient, well, that that might have been great as an opportunist, yeah. opportunist, but it's not great as a diplomat. Well, I'm embarrassed because I I spent some time today working on some DNS issue, which I don't I don't have expertise in DNS, and I don't know who yeah. to reach out to. I mean, I definitely have friends who are expert at it, but do I want to bother them? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. So it's a really great question for yourself. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. So, um, so 
not that I want to just keep listing things, but tell me those five again. Uh, so yeah, no, no, those, those are great. Yeah. So status, certainty. So whether something's risky or not risky, right. autonomy, whether you are um, being um, micromanaged or you have a certain amount of autonomy, relatedness or belonging, mm-hmm. and finally fairness. So uh, he uses those five. I wonder if there are others as well, but uh, but the research has been done on those five. Yeah, interesting. So I've been in grad school recently uh, um, for choral conducting for music. And Mm -hmm. as part of that, I took a bunch of education classes because conducting is really mostly about teaching, which is also how I'm really super psyched about um, the FAMIC classes I've been teaching more of lately. But one of that one of those classes talked a lot about that about like amygdala lockup and if you uh, well specifically I guess in this te- teaching music if yeah. you see a student feel like they're way pressured on something and they they can't like deal with it they'll go into the the amygdala will release chemicals in the brain basically and yeah. just you you freeze and it takes time it takes like. 20 minutes or something. I can't remember the exact time, but I think it's around 20 minutes for that to pass. Yeah. Yeah. So um, for the-, the chemicals that are released into your, your body at that time, it probably cortisol. Uh, it takes a while to sort of flash out through the system. And mm-hmm. here's the real kicker it is if you get then a secondary stress on top of that. So now you haven't released the first one and now you got a secondary on top of that or a tertiary on top of that. Right it's going to take a lot longer. It won't be like 60 minutes. It would be an extended period of time yeah. for you to physically recover from that. Yeah. 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 I certainly have experienced that. So it's, I think it's the reason that, that we were learning it was just to recognize it and to recognize that you can't push at that point. Like there's, there's a lot of people would say, come on, push it through, play that scale, get those notes right. Um, yeah. Or in the case of a file maker developer, Come on, that was a really obvious function. How did you miss that? You made a typo there. You know, if they're looking at their code or how did you not test this button and to see that it doesn't yeah. work when you do this, whatever. And yeah, just yeah. to be to be calm with it. And um, uh, yeah, I, I actually re- responded to a, a LinkedIn post recently about how mistakes are handled. And to me, um, it's so valuable that we allow mistakes to happen and that we, I recognize that that person now has learned something very valuable and that becomes an asset. I don't want to get rid of that person. I think they're not probably going to make that mistake again, but if I get rid of that person or move them over or change the role, then the new person who comes in could make the same mistake. Yeah. So I would rather have somebody who has that experience, right? I kind of go beyond that. I actually celebrate mistakes. When I'm a lot of the classes I teach, I have people, I do a lot of pair programming also. And when I teach the class, it's skills-based, right? So you're, you're sharing your screen in Zoom. Yeah. And all the other students see it and I see it. And you're learning something you've never done before. And there's no way you're going to do it perfectly the first time. Yeah. And, yeah. and when they make a mistake, it makes me so happy because I'm like, oh my God, I did that same thing yesterday. And I've been doing this for, you know, my whole career. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then it's a lesson. It's like, you know, so this is this is what you should look at to recognize when this happens again. Um, and, and the other thing about that, Matt, is you build trust between the pair. You know, if if somebody feels a doubt, they're willing to share it with you and say, "Did I? Mm-hmm. Is this the right function I should use, or is this the right logic I should use?" And yep. now you have a collaborative 
uh, situation, which is really, really important. I just mentioned the word collaborative and sorry, I'm like going to go off on another thing. This is super, super hard for you and me to podcast because we're so non-linear. Like we can just go, like if I, if I mentioned Hegel and Heidegger and Husserl right now, we would just go deeply into philosophy probably, (laughs) (laughs) but we're not going to go there. The reason I wanted to sort of go off on uh, collaborative is that Mm -hmm. uh, as problems get bigger, you need more and more collaboration. And uh, when problems are smaller, you can you can compete. So competitive uh, angle is fine for an opportunist. You know, they want to win the contract over someone else. But when we're solving a global problem, we don't want to compete. We want to collaborate. We need all hands on deck, as it were. So in the same way, um, if you're developing your FileMaker company and you have teams, you really need them to think collaborative, collaboratively about how they're going to uh, present or develop that solution. And um, and then you're into leveraging strengths, right? Then you're into, you know, what is that person good at? Can How do, can they contribute? What is that person good at? How can they contribute? Right. Have so, a great designer and analyst and things like that. Question yeah. for you. How would this apply to, to measuring a direction of something that's happening? For example, what, what I really want to get your take on is Claris is making this really big change in there. Mm. Uh, and the product offering, right? They've introduced Claris yes. Studio yep. and Claris Pro, which is a really major new direction. It doesn't do a whole lot right now. It actually just nope. added the feature of, of add, change, and delete. So actually, the so the, the Claris Pro can actually now use basically full um, uh, features of the tables that are that exist in the Claris Studio environment, which is kind of amazing. Yeah. Um, but the forms, like all the other part of it, is definitely not mature. I'm thrilled that they're actually letting it out, that they're letting us yep. see it, that they're taking feedback of what we want to have next. Um, Absolutely. And I'm, I'm mostly encouraged because it really seems like they're taking the long view. This is not well, in the let's, transaction. Let's put Claris in our, in our uh, scale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Let's do that. So, uh, so they, at, at one point, were very internal looking. Uh, they had their product, they had their people inside who could develop it. Mm-hmm. And that product kind of um, uh, lived in isolation. And in fact, when I first started in FileMaker in 1992, or end of 91, mm-hmm. it was FileMaker 2, which was Mac only. FileMaker 2.1 was the the file could be shared on Windows. Right. So. So FileMaker 2.1 was the first time that they kind of said, okay, we're a little bit bigger than Mac and we can explore other platforms. And I remember when we started adding CDML and ODBC and other technologies, this indicates an expansion of their uh, sphere of influence and the things that are influencing them. They're moving more into a, um, and I talk about the expert stage um, but the expert stage is also kind of acknowledging that there's an industry out there. I'm not just an expert on my own right. at what I do, but I acknowledge that there are standards and there are um, specific ways of doing things, and I have to co- uh, collaborate and work with those. So yeah. I started my naming convention in the late 90s to work with HTML and to work with the ODBC. Oh, yeah, yeah. I changed you know, as, as a result as well. So, so how would you how would you rate Claris today? Because I mean, I, I totally agree with you. In the past, they've been very kind of closed. They weren't really open to developers. They didn't have any of that open kimono thing. Um, 
uh, welcoming well, people into let, really let's see. Let's just say they're, they're probably, um, they're either in an achiever or redefining stage. And achiever is like, like I said, it's hurting cats. And we know the yeah. relationship that Clarice has with developers is very much like that. It's true. Uh, absolutely true. Um, but they're also, I think, in a redefining stage in that they want to really figure out what is the most important thing for them as a internally what do they really want to present to the world is a, is a question i think this movement to a low code environment uh is a big part of that because that then opens up to a more um transformational stage right well, the, they can the now be uh, i got to mm -hmm. I, I don't know if i agree with low code is just a label they apply they didn't change anything about the platform they just oh no 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 the claire studio is low code and i the reason oh, i know yeah, yeah. that Oh, that's true. Is, I agree with you there completely. Yeah, it, it's it's absolutely based on them looking at all the other ones. Yep. Because um, at the moment, the there's no code. Signs. Yeah, at the moment, there's no place anywhere to write any code in it. But I know it's going to get there. So. Oh, of course. And yeah. uh, but if you looked at uh, Amazon's, um, what's it called, Honeybee or something like that? Yeah, Honeycode. Uh, was it was it was virtually useless when it came out as well. Mm. Um, and maybe they refined that a little bit. Uh, same thing with, and I'm not going to say that, that it's useless, but um, there's um, there's one from Microsoft. I can't remember, but it, it, it's it's a it's a toy. It, it yeah. just it solves a few small problems. It's not meant to be a full developer tool. Right. FileMaker, uh, oops, Claris. I said FileMaker. I say, uh, I say Claris every day. is uh, redefining itself. It wants to play in that bigger field, but your competitors are things like OutSystems. Um, right. you know, well, that's oh, a my different gosh. world. It is a different yeah. world, and there's so many uh, of them out there. I, in, in fact, evaluated about 10 or 12 of them for direct impact. And um, yeah, so there are there are other low-code environments out there. Uh, a lot of what I see uh, happening in the FileMaker, oops, Claris Studio, sorry, did it again, <laughs> uh, reflect uh, some of those approaches on the, on the other side. The, the one thing that uh, Claris is doing well uh, is that they are not putting restrictions on the number of tables and the amount of data that you can access. Uh, they're making the tools available for free, I think, starting in September uh, for single users. But this is right. a huge, huge difference. I mean, we've been asking for this for years, right? Yep. Decades. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's true. Absolutely. Yeah, we, we definitely have been asking for that free tier because um, there was another really big change too, right? And the way they did licensing uh, quite a while ago. I can't remember exactly how long they, they used to have the fairly inexpensive single user version, 299, something like that. Yes. And um, it became clear that it didn't really make sense to sell that anymore. So they raised the price to like five or 600, something like that. Yeah. Uh, uh, and then really switched to the volume license as the entry level, uh, you know, yeah. 900 bucks a year. And, five users and you have that annual, you know, renewal all the time. Yep. But making it very clear that that's really what the, pr the platform is about, which I totally yep. agreed with and agree with. Yeah. But I think that this move, whenever it happens to have a free version, uh, the freemium yep. model, uh, yep. certainly is a me too thing, right? They, that's not a, oh wait, that's the wrong word these days. <laughs> They're following uh, what, what tons of others have done. But um, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, but let's just great. say they're getting modern. <laughs> yeah. Well, they've always been 
um, I don't want to say too little too late, but they've always waited to see how things were going to shake out. They've been always been pretty conservative that way and not really yep. taking big risks. I mean, yep. look at the platform. You can convert yep. a FileMaker 3 database or whatever yeah. to 19, and I've yes. seen it done even very recently, and yep. it just works. Nothing nothing yep, breaks. That's true. true. If you go from you PHP... It works. Yeah, 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 exactly. And if you if you go to from one version of PHP to another one, everything breaks, right? I mean, so many other platforms don't at all care about that uh, yeah. backwards compatibility. No, and, and yeah, you got to there's there's that's a two edged sword, Matt. Mm-hmm. So we know that uh, some of that legacy stuff is just a nightmare to convert, uh, largely because there could be multiple files with huge scripts oh, yeah. and things like that. And yep. Um, some of the functions like bring window forward and stuff like that can just, oh, totally. you know, you're cheating your tail. Yeah, the today um, But function. on the other hand, does it, what's that? There, I, there's one of my clients that actually still had the today function being used. So there was, yeah. a, there was a feature a long time ago that calculated the date and stored it like as a calculated field. And when FileMaker converted the file, it wrote a script that found all the records and wrote data to a field that was today's date so that there would be a yeah. calculated uh indexed field with today's date in every record of a table which is yes uh. <laughs> oh and, and i mean i've seen that in legacy systems for sure you know and i'm kind of going why are we still doing that yep and and, and of course that talks about um you know going back to the expert level and um and refactoring and looking at your code again and that kind of a thing and these are things that experts would do these are things that people who are novices would miss uh, and, and, you know, that's why these stages are kind of important because you talk to people at the different stages differently. Uh, your communication is different. Um, you want to bring people up, uh, but you don't want to, you don't want to disparage where they are and you don't want to bring them up too fast. So you don't want to teach a PhD to a first year reader, right? You, right. you, you really have to bring people up through various stages so that um, when you are talking to them about very sophisticated or complex things, they're ready for it. Right. So are there um, like techniques that you would use? So I, yeah, I'm guessing, yeah. I'm guessing so, that the goal would be if you have an organization with employees that you would encourage them to know and be thinking about and decide where to spend their time yeah, in these so, stages. Yes. Yeah. So global leader associates is where I got my profile done. They're still around and I've attended uh, webinars with them. Mm-hmm. And so the first stage I would recommend is that everybody in management, let's say to start, uh, take get profiled. You know, to take the the sentence completion test. You know, pay the money to get that done. Mm-hmm. And again, this is just to establish a baseline. It's not to pigeonhole anyone, right. but it does give us a direction. The second thing is then, and, and this is so beautiful because um, the way that the article I read that that sort of led me to this it was called Seven Transformations of Leadership. Mm-hmm. And they talk about this as action logics at each of these levels. So what does that mean? That means what logic are you using when you perform an action? Is it from a first-person perspective, second-person perspective, et cetera? Mm-hmm. And so one of the techniques that they use to help people sort of come out of that, and you can slice and dice this any number of ways. But for instance, I've had a problem. I want to talk about it. So we have a little group get together and we go, okay, so define the problem. That person defines it in terms of, well, what happened to me was, okay. So you go, so what was the impact on the team? 
Hmm. What was the impact on the organization? Uh, how would the industry handle that kind of a situation? What would be expected? Or what would HR say about that situation? You know, right. you start asking questions from these different perspectives, these higher level perspectives. You don't have to go that far, just a few. And people then start to see, oh, I've got to start seeing it not just from my perspective, but from some of these other perspectives. You know, when you think, oh, I had a problem with a developer and I said such and such to them. Well, how did they react to that? Well, I don't know. I just, <laughs> I didn't think of how they reacted yeah. to that. You really want to find out what was that other perspective, you know? Uh, and did, did, did that meet HR requirements? You know, if someone is, is being really rude in a meeting or uh, yelling or screaming in a meeting, is this right. appropriate? Is this, is this the, the kind of, of thing that you want as a behavior? Yeah. But on the other hand, that, they right? may yeah. feel very frustrated and you've got to say, okay, so what was happening with that? Where were you coming from? What were you expecting? How do you think someone else would, you know, approach that or whatever? Yeah, that's a really good one. I, I can think of times in, in my own career where if I have a really good rapport with someone that we can be kind of, you know, mock abusive to each other. Other people might not see it that way. Mm -hmm. You know, if you if you have friends that you when you meet them, you call each other swear words, which I have many friends like that. Uh, you, you can't do that in certain situations because people don't know no. <laughs> that no. you don't no, hate each right. other. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. And, and so this is um, something that you would do on a repetitive basis. So maybe once a week or once a month, you'd have these group meetings and you would just go around like that, you know, and it's just mostly to make you uh, think about it, but you might get, somebody might say something to you and you go, oh, I never thought about it that way or mm -hmm. I never thought of that impact. And all of this, one of the things we say um, from my transcendental meditation background is that every experience changes consciousness. Every experience changes the brain. Mm -hmm. So we set up new neural pathways when we get new perspectives. And so this is really part of that growth experience. One of the other things that I found that was very interesting was I was introduced to this by some neuroscientists. I was at, asking them questions about something else. <clears throat> and they said, oh, are you familiar with this model? And I went, I'm familiar with Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, but this whole idea that, um, that the brain changes based on different experiences and even just discussions and talking about it can make a difference. This is really powerful. Yeah, it is for sure. This is maybe a little bit less file maker even some of our podcasts, but when you and I were right. talking about it, it was definitely something that I thought would be good to share with the community. So cool, good stuff. Yeah. I, um, as I, as I said at the beginning, filemaker organizations are transforming. I'm really glad you asked the questions about Claris, mm -hmm. but I, I've seen that some, um, filemaker organizations are publishing visions on their websites. You know, they're really thinking more qualitatively than quantitatively. Right. To me, that was a signal that the community is evolving and transforming, and I hope this is yeah. helpful. Dedicating a significant amount of their time to just community things. I think all you know, all companies when they reach a, reach a certain size, do some pro bono stuff. Uh, yeah, nonprofit yeah. things. Yeah. But I think it's more than that. I mean, you know, to think about like for example, to be green for a company to have a policy, nothing gets printed. Uh, you know, anything we can do to to be more efficient. 
and to not travel unnecessarily and to, um, you know, well, really we're at the forefront of that, aren't we? I mean, anybody who's working remotely as a developer yeah. knows that they can make a huge impact on reducing the carbon footprint while also improving processes and streamlining uh, the lives of others. Yep. There was an interesting study that was just done recently on uh, people working four days a week and actually being more productive in four days than they were in five. Yeah, And I was like, well, how does that work? But I think I, working remotely has definitely been, I've been more effective in many, many ways. Hmm. I could try the four day a week thing. <laughs> I've been working much more like, um, well, since I moved to Europe, uh, yeah. my time zone is so off. Like uh, I work with a lot of clients on the West coast who aren't up until, I don't know, three, four in the afternoon, my time. Uh, so I have meetings that go till eight or nine, 10 o'clock at night sometimes. Oh, that's uh, crazy. Which is just what I have to do. But then yeah. if I don't have fun things planned for a day, I'll work from when I get up, you know, yeah. nine, 10 o'clock in the morning, yeah. sometimes until three and then ends up having like a 12 hour day, uh, you know, with yeah. lots of breaks and stuff like that. I'd, I'd go out and take walks and don't just work straight through. Yeah. Uh, uh, it, it, when I, um, when I worked at the bank at HSBC, um, you know, we had to work with Hong Kong. That was almost a 12 hour difference. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right. Yep. You know, so people would do that. But when I took my MBA, that was through the university of Liverpool online um, our activities were asynchronous, which means we didn't actually have to be together at the same time. We just had to address things within a certain time frame. So you didn't get that right out of uh, undergrad, then you got your MBA later? Yeah, I I did not do an undergrad. Uh, that's a whole different podcast. Hmm. Um, but I, I did find out that University of Liverpool would accept work experience for their MBA huh. program. That's cool. And my boss signed off on my on my work experience. And uh, so that was really worked out well for me. When did you complete the MBA? When I graduated in 2013, I was then asked by my dissertation advisor uh, to actually go to a, a business presentation, a business conference in Helsinki, mm -hmm. Finland, and mm -hmm. presented on my dissertation. Cool. Yeah, yeah so that, that was, was what? Cool. Nine, yeah, nine years ago. Yeah, I know. Like, I love it. I mean, I, I think it's just, I definitely want to encourage people to be thinking about uh, things that they've been putting off their whole life yeah. and then reaching I a agree. stage where you basically have to say, you know what, I'm done waiting. I'm just going to do it. So uh, you and I have certainly I both agree. done that. You know, and one of the reasons I, I did my MBA, well, partly was for myself, of course, but I also wanted to be an example to my children that at any point you can go back, you can increase your education. And my younger daughter did. She went back and got two more degrees. Wow. And I was so proud of her. And uh, she's changed careers on the basis of that. So I, I feel in some way I paid it forward a little bit by doing that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Cool. Well, um, James, thank you so much for your time. This was a great discussion. Yeah, thank you. And uh, I don't know how much more we can go into each filemaker instance of each of the stages but uh, if we can find a way to do that let's do it well, let's keep well you and i are going to be talking regularly so let's keep thinking about this more and maybe yeah. come up with another podcast yeah. all right yeah thanks again thank you so much uh, matt i really appreciate uh, you having me on